You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Three, two, one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to episode 283 of the Corbett Report. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you from the sunny climes of Western Japan in the shade of the outdoors, for those of you watching the video version of this podcast, because in episode 283, we're going to be discussing how to make media. This is, of course, one of those questions that I've had in various forms over the years, many, many, many times, through the contact form on CorbettReport.com, and I have attempted my best to answer this question, and in fact, there was even a previous edition of Corbett Report Radio in which we did talk about some of the software and audio setup, etc., that I'm using, so I will throw the link to that in the show notes for today's episode of the podcast, so you can go back and refer to that. Uh, There's a lot of information in there on the technical side, but today we're going to have more of a wide-ranging conversation. We're going to tackle some of the questions that have come in in the last few weeks on this specific topic uh, through the contact form on CorbettReport.com. We uh, have compiled quite a list of questions, and some of them are basically the same questions, so we're going to mix and match them together. But in order to help do this today, I have a very, very, very unusual special uh, treat for all of you out there today. It's not just going to be listening to me ramble on ad nauseum for an hour. Today we are joined by a special guest right here in the sunny climes of Western Japan. Of course, you probably all know him by now, Brock West of APPerspective.net, and of course the co-host of Asia Pacific Perspective. So we are here live in the sunny climes of Western Japan. Brock, you are here in Japan once again. You were here last year very briefly. We met for one afternoon, and uh, there was a subscriber-only video that we were in. That's right, yeah. But uh, but this is the first time we I have ever done a podcast with someone, so welcome to the podcast. Arigatou gozaimasu. <laughs> very happy to be here. To say it's an honor to be on the Corbett Report is a huge understatement. And, uh, yeah, doesn't time fly in a year? You know, you've become a proud father you and your lovely wife yes Uh, i was lucky enough to just earlier meet your adorable son so thank you very much for that and on my side you know i conducted a survey between myself and my mother and apparently i'm even more good looking this year so (laughs) win-win i can attest i can attest for those of you who aren't getting the full glory of his uh, visage in the video version of this podcast of course which is available on the youtube channel and on corporatereport.com if you're just listening to the audio and of course this is an audio podcast first and foremost so we will stick to the audio version but there are some actual physical setup of uh, what i do that i want to show you in some form or another so i'll probably be recording some video footage of that to put up on the uh, specifically as a video later we'll show you maybe a bit of that as an overlay on this video podcast, but we'll try to keep it to just our conversation. And I wanted to have a bit of a conversation today, Brock, rather than just um, ramble on with, uh, with with my mad ramblings, uh, or, or just question and answer. I mean, I think we should talk a little bit about the process of creating media, because this is something that I've talked about time and time again on my podcast. And, uh, and to me, it really is very important that this work that I'm doing is not just me sitting here talking to a screen, to talking to a camera, and people sitting at home just imbibing it. I want, I desperately want this to be an idea that other people take on and, and start to use for themselves, because I know personally that the 
the most important thing I've ever done is stop being an audience member and start being an active participant in this conversation. And I never in a million years would have imagined I'd be sitting here doing this as a full-time profession. It's uh, absolutely incredible. And it is just a testament to what an average person with average resources can do if you go out there and actually do it. And it's so important to break down that barrier that has held us back in the audience for literally centuries. The technology to be able to disseminate our information to the four corners of the world has never really existed in the way that it does now. So let's make the most of it. And it is actually a lot easier than you think. And that's what I want to start hopefully demonstrating today by answering yeah. some of these questions. I know you have some questions. There were some sure. questions that came in. Hmm. But uh, perhaps first we could start actually just talking a little bit about your own situation because sure. I know you've kind of gotten into this relatively recently with uh, yeah. Asia Pacific Perspective. Yeah. Let's talk about the website side of this because hmm. uh, this is, I think, the first standard entry point for people. I think people would be surprised to have never tried just how easy it is to set up a blog these days, especially oh. with the free blogging services. Mm -hmm. Tell us about AP Perspective and how you went about setting that up. Well, I mean, honestly, the first thing is that I took your advice and, you know, out of all the amazing information that you've given your subscribers and your audience over the years, whether it be about false flag terror or the fiat currency system or the monetary system, so on and so forth, one of the things that really stood out to me was, yeah, I can do this too. And, you know, as, as, as a J6 pack, like we all are still, you know, we're all just normal people. It is exceptionally easy, um, deceptively, deceptively easy uh, to create your own website and, and to build it up slowly but surely. Um, just from my perspective, on Asia Pacific perspective, I literally just run it out of Blogger, um, which is a free, uh, fairly user-friendly uh, uh, blogging site. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have an awesome graphic designer in my home as my wife. Um, so that does help in, you know, printing up the site a little bit. But there is great templates that you can use mm. for that. And, of course, there's also other other ones. The most famous, I guess, would be WordPress yeah. as well, which is what we run FukushimaUpdate.com off. So. Yes, and Corbett Report. And Corbett Report as yeah. well. So um, basically, that's the first place to start. And that's where I started. And, yeah, it kind of went from there. Exactly. Mm. And for people who are interested, I'm sure, I have never looked, but I, I'm sure there are a million tutorials on how to set up an easy blogger site. Absolutely, yeah. Just, you know, YouTube it and yeah. take your pick, basically. Exactly. It is It is much easier than you think. And it's completely free if you want to do it the free way, right? Exactly right. I still have not uh, put a, a cent into the website itself. Of course, there's a little bit of software, which we'll get into a little bit later in the podcast, um, that you can choose to buy. Um, but there's also great free alternatives out there as well. So this is definitely not anything for the rich man. Um, That's and, it. Yeah. And and that was always my favorite um, my favorite criticism that I received from Smog blog when I started ClimateGate.tv, which, by the way, for people out there who have been looking to that recently, is now a defunct website. I gave up that uh, that URL. But back when I started ClimateGate.tv, blog, which is this place that goes around and says that everyone who disbelieves in man-made global warming is paid by the oil companies, um, they said, oh, the... Uh, the climate deniers have started a new TV channel, which was actually a website, so I'm not sure what they were talking about. Mm. Talking about ClimateGate.tv, and they said, look at the, the funding they must have in order to do this. And it was literally a free template WordPress uh, website that I set up in about 10 minutes that I paid, I think, $5 a month for hosting on GoDaddy. So it was, yeah. <laughs> it was just ridiculous to hear that I must be secretly paid by the oil companies in order to run a site like that, which only goes to show that either they think you are too stupid to be able to figure this out, and or B, they just actually don't know what they're talking about. Mm. But since they have a website, I'm assuming they 
you probably know that it's uh, pretty easy to do. Yeah. So my message is the exact opposite. Whether you agree with me, whether you disagree with me, violently disagree with me, whether you think I'm a shill, gatekeepers, reptile, Zionist, CIA, Vatican overlord, or whatever you think I am, well, I invite you, I urge you, please get into the game. Start doing this for yourself. Start the con joining the conversation. And I really believe it's only through all of us joining this conversation that we will start to steer it in a more positive direction. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we're all, we're all the best armchair critics at the best of times. But if you really want to put, you know, if you really want to walk the walk and talk the talk, you know, get your own information out there uh, through a, a, a website or a blog that is your own, that you are completely in control of, which is affordable. And then, yeah, you know, uh, bring it to the table. And that's when you'll really start to engage. I feel anyway. That's it. And uh, again, it's really easy and I hope we're going to demonstrate that today. So why don't we get we into some of the questions and start yeah. pounding back some of the answers. Absolutely. Well, we've got some great questions uh, here that flooded into your inbox, James. Um, we'll take this first one from Brooks. I'm especially interested in your technique of staying so eloquently on topic as you're speaking into the camera. Do you, do you use a teleprompter software slash setup of any kind or what's your secret? Uh, this is honestly this is a great question it's something uh you know i'm still only about a year into this you're at least seven years now and six and a half six yeah. and a half you Getting know so there. it's uh I, I do amaze i am amazed when we do asia pacific perspective how or, and all, of course all your other works especially the podcast how eloquently and seamlessly you seem to do it but i mean is it just experience and practice is that, it's is exactly what it is because trust me for anyone who uh, caught my first podcasts they were uh, in fact did. yes well the first ever podcast i did actually was mostly scripted i actually had a script written out ahead of time because it was the first time i'd done anything like that and even so it still sounded atrocious so i always urge people not to start from episode one if you're just new to the corporate report but um but yes uh, i started out with that but i quickly got rid of that by thinking episode three I didn't even, I barely just had notes that I was uh, going through as I was doing the podcast and at this point yes I am able to talk without uh, prompting is there a teleprompter here behind the scenes no, somewhere no, no. Um, so it really is experience and just doing it um, year after year and challenging yourself a little bit further each time um, as we were talking about before we started rolling here um, back when I was doing the audio only version of the podcast I had the luxury of if I made a, a silly mistake in my grammar or whatever I could just stop go back edit it back out or in when I'm doing video, it's obviously much more difficult to do that, so I have basically trained myself to be able to speak extemporaneously, even using words like extemporaneously, <laughs> woo. But again, that is truly just from practice, and now after six and a half years, it really is kind of second nature to talk like this. Um, so it actually makes conversations with real-life human beings more difficult, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, but on the, the, the prompter side of things, um, when I do the uh, eye-opener reports and the GRTV backgrounders, I'm sure people have noticed that I'm reading from a script on that. That is through a teleprompter type thing that I have set up. And teleprompter, I just mean I have a cheapo laptop um, that I have lying around that has a free software on it. I believe it is called teleprompter, but I'll put the link in so you can download it for yourself. Um, it's a Windows laptop, so it's a Windows-based program. And I just set that up literally physically right behind my camera, and uh, it just scrolls by with the text, and I just read it um, like that, and it works. I think it works better than a lot of other setups I've seen even on YouTube. I've seen a lot of like uh, news type, uh, like cheapo news type operations, like do-it-yourself operations, but I'm not sure how they're doing it, but they don't seem to have it set up in a convenient way, so you can tell they're kind of looking off and reading a script. But the way mine is set up, it's just literally right behind the camera, and it just scrolls right by, so it's it's quite easy to do. So that that is one possible route, um, but honestly, I think the best way to communicate is off the cuff. 
Absolutely. Um, just from my personal experience, uh, when we recorded the the first appearance I had on Corbett Report Radio, uh, I literally had pages and pages and pages of notes. And once you do start, if you choose to go down the interviewing podcasting route, which I hope you all do, um, you know, you'll be amazed how quickly time flies. Uh, you think you, you, you they won't possibly have enough notes, but you know, I in in those first couple of episodes we did on Corbett Report Radio, you know, I barely scratched the surface of of the notes I had. So as we've become more regular doing Asia Pacific Perspective, it's really come it really it, almost every time now it shortens to bullet points and I'm finding with, you know, constantly doing the work that I do on AP on AP Perspective, it's just I can start it, the cogs in the old brain start to tick over much, much more seamlessly. So yeah. it's just a matter of practice. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and you're exactly right. That was the one thing I always told guests on Corbett Report Radio, especially like first time on the radio type guests. It's going to be an hour. I can't speak that oh, much. Yeah, it flies by. You wouldn't even believe. And, and I think you're right. Um, I would urge people if they were going to do something like this, especially if you're going to be an interview guest or something, um, just make point form notes of the the details like names places dates things that you'll probably forget when you're speaking so you can refer to it and then just uh, speak around that and i think that's probably the easiest way to do it again it's just practice yeah uh, that's the that's the route that uh myself and hanul navi and mike belowski from the last defense do when we do our monthly podcast essentially we cover three topics uh, throughout the interview and each one of us has a article or topic to do their own research on and they just make a, a very brief Word document about the bullet points of the article that they want to discuss. It's a very simple, uh, foolproof way to, uh, you know, just have some backup there, just in case you do uh, stumble into a uh, language uh, corner like yeah. you, we all do sometimes. Absolutely. Even the best of us. Yes. <laughs> all right. I think we've got that one under control. Brilliant. Next uh, question. Moving on. Uh, this is a brilliant question from Sophia. So, Sophia, thank you very much. Um, this is something that I've uh, also wanted to ask James, so I'm glad to be here doing it in person. Um, how and how and why should blogger slash investigator slash outlet types collaborate? Shouldn't we all be part of a growing but loose and anamorph- uh, amorphous network? And in the face of the great NSA eye in the sky, what are the real risks to, to people like us? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a question I've gotten a lot in different ways from different people over the years, and I'm sure everyone thinks about these issues. Um, as for the how bloggers should come together and instead of just being amorphous, I think I have a, a different take than a lot of people because I've noticed time and time and time again with the people I work with, everyone always says we should have one site that everyone goes to. I think that the nature of the internet revolution is of the opposite, um, in the opposite direction. We have been conditioned for generations to believe that we need all of our information in that one form, in that one place. And it used to be a physical newspaper or magazine or whatever where you would get a lot of information and it would be kind of the, the curator of that information, the editor that would bring the best information and the best writers and whatever to you. And that made sense when it was a physical object that you had to go, you know, ship halfway around the world or whatever. Now that we have this instantaneous connection directly from a a human being to another human being who has a website, um, I don't think we need that congregation spot in the same way that we did before. And in some ways, my philosophy is that 
the, the power of what we are doing is that it is amorphous to a certain extent. I think whenever you have a movement, whenever you have a website, whenever you have a place where a bunch of different people congregate, it can be co-opted, it can be controlled, there can be, uh, you, uh, you can decapitate it by taking out a key figure, you can um, under, undermine it by putting in uh, cognitive infiltrators or the like. Occupy Wall Street's a perfect example of that, I would say. There's a lot, of, yeah, yeah, there's a lot to say about that. But uh, that's, uh, that's one example, right? And, and so they were trying to work from a consensus template. Sure. And how are you going to get anything lar larger than a group of four or five people to work on consensus. It's, even then. Yeah, even then, right? And, and exactly. And the point of the, the internet revolution to me is I have a website, I can say whatever I want, and I don't have to be beholden to anyone else or think about what anyone else is going to think about it. It is me, 100% raw. This is what I believe. This is what I, I've found in my research. This is what I'm putting forward. Nobody has the say or control over what I do. If we start congregating in those types of websites, then, you know, person A says something and person B says, you can't say that. I don't want to be associated with that. You have infighting. You have all of that kind of nonsense. I prefer it the way it is. And people can, I have faith and trust in people out there to be able to pick and choose and be their own editors, be your own curator. If you like what someone else is saying and what someone else is saying and what someone else is saying, you can bring that together just as easily as anyone else could. And there doesn't need to be that one website that everyone goes to. I understand the appeal of it. And I understand the idea that maybe you could point some outsider to, hey, here's the website, check it out. And everyone that I love is on this website. I understand the appeal of that idea, but I still think it's it's more powerful for us to be the the lone wolves because we can we for the first time in history we can be do you think anything like a like a alternative news only search engine is ever kind of an idea or possible or would it work or eh, um yeah i again to have news websites like blacklisted news or whatever that are alternative news and congregate from different places mm -hmm. that's great but again i don't want to put all my eggs in any one basket sure. why why do that when we could have the selection um uh, an alternative news search engine just to me that seems a bit arbitrary i like mm -hmm. having a search engine that will give me everything, including the mainstream crap, because I want to know yes. what they're thinking as yes. well. I don't want to shut myself off or be that kind of, have that wall mm. between us. Yeah, well, I find, you know, I, through uh, the RSS feeds, which we'll get into a little bit later, but when I do post mainstream articles on my website, it, it does often, you know, will have important information. But what's also great is then you can counteract that with uh, related articles like I do. I remember... Uh, there was an article going on, I was talking about Fukushima, with a, you know, getting all these experts in, and I just thought, well, we're all listening to these experts, and it just went off in my head that the podcast episode you did about expertology, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a great way to also provide a counterbalance as well, and, you know, yeah. you are using the mainstream in that way. So Exactly right. Yeah, no, I don't think we should be ignoring the mainstream. I Not think the, the crap that they're putting out needs to be counteracted, and we have to understand what the vector of the propaganda is so we can mm. do that effectively. Absolutely. Okay, uh, this is... Probably, I would say, the most common question that uh, we've uh, we got over the last couple of weeks. James, which software do you use for video creation? What other platform would you recommend to spread multiple sources? Eventually, I think I will switch and leave Facebook. Well, please leave Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, don't, I certainly don't recommend anyone ever create a Facebook profile. If you have one and you want to use it to disseminate information, well, why not? But... Um uh, yeah. From experience, I, I was on Facebook a couple of years ago, and I was putting out, you know, uh, links to your work and Media Monarchy and New World Next Week, and there and thereafter, and no one seems Facebook. I don't think is really meant for that, or 
it, people people on Facebook don't really care about that. I think if you really mm. want to get to the harder stuff, I mean, you and I both have Twitter accounts. Uh, I, have, I have two of them, AP Perspective, my own. I mean, that's a great fast way to do it. But of course, you know, there's downsides to that as well. So. Um, but yeah, uh, so what are the so software secrets that you can enlighten us on? Um, for video specifically, I use uh, Final Cut Pro, and that is one of the bigger expenses of anything that you'd, you'd uh, be using if you were using my setup. But first of all, I want to stress that I'm not saying that my setup is the way to go. There's lots of software out there, so I'm just telling you what I use. Um, and in fact, several years ago when I was running the entire website off of my old beat-up clunky second-hand laptop, I was using, I think, Sony Vegas, Sony Vegas Pro, something like that. It, I, I got it for like $80 online. Um, so you can get anything from the free Movie Maker IDV, iMovie software all the way up to expensive you know, Final Cut and After Effects and all that stuff. I personally use uh, Final Cut Pro for my video editing. Um, it works well for me. But um, in terms of, uh, also I guess we should cover audio software sure, and stuff sure. while we're at it. Um, I just use the free uh, freeware. It's uh, called Audacity. Yep. Um, yep, you can record multiple tracks, edit very easily. It does what I need it to do. I know there's fancy software out there that some people use, but it's free. Yep, Why not? And it's simple. It's, it's, I've only just started using it quite recently, and I'm not, a, I'm not a tech geek by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, Audacity is it's really user-friendly Yep. and free. It's, it's intuitive, it's user-friendly, it's free. The, uh, the only other op, uh, thing that I would supplement that with is a program called uh, Levelator, which yes. is one of the best things that I ever invested in. It's, again, free, so I didn't pay a cent for it, but uh, you can download it for free, um, and it normalizes the levels in your audio. So if you have different sources that are coming in at different levels, one's really loud, one's really quiet, whatever, you can physically go through and adjust it all in Audacity, but that's a ridiculously time-consuming process and I used to do that before I found Levelator and uh, then you just stick a WAV file into Levelator and it does it all automatically it's does it whatever magic it does and it comes out the other side sounding um, all the same levels so that's nice and friendly on your listeners because once again I think that's probably the that's the number one priority for me is is this going to make a better experience for the, the listener or viewer I don't care about bells and whistles unless it's just easier for the if it's nicer on the eyes or in the ears of the, the uh, listener and viewer. Sure. Uh, video recording. Uh, video recording, the physical recording, well, there's a couple of things. Well, I have my old standard HV30 video camera, which is a actually a tape uh, camera, um, an old camcorder, um, that does the trick. And you are, if you're watching the video of this, you're watching Brock on that camera right now. And I have just invested, thanks to the support of people out there buying, for example, the new 2011 Video Archive DVD. Thank you so much for your support. And with that money, I have just invested in a brand new Canon 70D uh, DSLR camera. Hot off the presses, um, it is a brand new camera and it looks beautiful, I think, compared to the HV30. And that is what you're looking at me on right now if you're watching the video of this podcast. So, uh, so those are the physical uh, devices that I use for recording. And uh, the other factor of video recording is how you record the audio. And I think audio is more important than the video itself. You could be recording on a potato, uh, but if it has good audio, then it's still at least usable as media. But other way around, you can have the most beautiful DSLR uh, with a beautiful lens on your camera. And if you have crappy audio, no one's going to watch the video. So um, audio is the most important thing, and it can be a real headache, and it 
is the type of thing where that actually costs a little bit of money to try to get something that sounds good. And so right now I'll just tell you about the setup and maybe we can show you it on the video later. Um, but basically right now we've, we're using a Zoom H6 which is a, uh, has XLR inputs, it also has a recording. It records the audio of what you're, the video that you're watching separately. I have a lavalier microphone, it's an AT8020. <laughs> I forget the, uh, the make, but I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can uh, check it out. It's, uh, it's uh, pretty cheap as far as lav lavalier mics go and it uh, works pretty well. And uh, my, uh, Brock is talking on a Shure SM58 mic one of your standard kind of vocal mics for you might see your local band performing with. The musician's choice. There you go. And you are a musician yourself. So. Sort of. <laughs> I'll try. So uh, he just played a little guitar for me, and trust me, he's much better than me. So um, so that's that's the, the setup we're using. There's also a, a shotgun microphone on the HV30. Um, so there's lots of things to say about recording audio on video, but whatever you use, I think... My number one suggestion would be don't use the internal mic on the camera. If you can afford any type of microphone, a shotgun mic or whatever you can mount on the camera, or if you can get XLR inputs with a juiced link or something that's, that's got pure XLR audio, then that's the way to go. Because once again, audio is the most important part of this media. Excellent. Well, okay, so we've got our blogger, we've got our WordPress, just at the basis anyway. We've got a name, uh, we've got some good ideas for recording audio, video, video editing software. Okay, so we've got our website essentially set up. Now we want to spread the word. And not just on your own website, but also throughout you know, YouTube and Twitter and Google Plus, if you want to use Google or whatever. You know, that's very important, obviously, and especially, I mean, your YouTube, your YouTube channel is a, a massive part of a corporate report now. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great way for people to view your media instead of finding a standalone website. And uh, when I started my uh, YouTube channel a few months ago, uh, I, out of the blue, got a huge, huge message from uh, the one and only Vinny Eastwood of VinnyEastwoodShow.com, who I know you've had on the show and mm -hmm. you've been on his show a couple of times. And um, he literally gave me point-by-point point ways to improve your, uh, not just your YouTube channel, but your blogger or your WordPress or, or your website uh, hit lists or traffic in general. So let's just knock a few of these down and these are really great very common sense uh, bullet points so find a topic for your channel for example you can do what a lot of folks are doing already and start some kind of video blog buy your cheap camera and start recording yourself you can share your own personal experiences your philosophy and your thoughts uh, as we discussed before write a brief script for, before recording a video be passionate and energetic I think it's that's that's a huge one you know and and that also does take a little bit of time to kind of start mm -hmm. bringing your own inflections and mm -hmm. personal ideas in. Uh, you know, I'm sh even if people go back to the first episodes of New World Next Week, for example, mm -hmm. compared to what they are now, not that they were bad back then, but now... They you, weren't as good. <laughs> yeah, but now you guys have such a knack for, you know, really giving your own personal spin on it and people can take it or leave it as they see fit. Uh, next one, treat your channel like a blog by uploading videos on a regular basis. Now, this is a big point in my opinion. If you do want to generate traffic and you do want to start slowly but surely build a, a base audience, you know you really do have to keep at it. Um, you know, posting a, a video once every couple of months really isn't going to generate that interest. You know what I mean? And I've, I've found myself throughout the year or so that AP Perspective has been up and running that 
you know, the more and more I do, the more and more people who are coming to the site, you know, and I start getting a little bit anxious now when I haven't got enough up on the website right. in a given day, yeah. you know, so. It is a beast you have to keep feeding, but you is. do have to keep feeding it if you want it, that audience, and that's exactly why New World Next Week comes out on the same day every week, so right. people know it's, oh, it's Thursday, it's time for New World Next Week. Exactly. Uh, okay, this is a, a word we've had a lot of recently with the NSA, optimize your metadata. Uh, descriptions, tags, mm. and titles. By using descriptive keywords, uh, some people use adjectives when searching for videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. James, your thoughts on that? It's true. I always put tags in my videos on YouTube. I have no idea if it helps, but <laughs> I always put tags in because I think it probably does help with the searching. And I've, I've actually found several times in the past where I've been searching for a very specific topic and I type the words that I think would be the best search words into the YouTube search engine. First thing that comes up is one of my previous videos. So I'm, that's, a, that's a good experience, yeah. Okay, uh, take the time to select the right thumbnail for every video. Uh, this is something you, you have kind of been uh, schooling me on a little bit lately. Uh, so what's, what, how do you go about creating uh, good, good thumbnails? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I'm yeah. still, it's, it's kind of hit and miss and yeah. it's an experiment. Um, yeah. I, I've only had the feature to customize thumbnails in YouTube for a little while. Um, they weren't allowing me to do that before because YouTube hates me. But, um, but now that I can do that, I'm trying to put up custom thumbnails that will draw people's attention. Again, I know the regular lis listeners and viewers don't care, but um, for new people who are maybe just yeah. scrolling through a bunch of YouTube search results, it can be the, the difference between them clicking and not clicking. So um, I, I, here's a story that I've, I've never told that's kind of funny. Um, I remember way back at the very beginning of the Corbett Report when I started my YouTube channel six and a half years ago now or whatever it was I was thinking about this this type of thing and I was thinking at that time it was always the the thumbnail on the video was always the exact center of the video mm. and so there was there were people who let's sync again three two one all right well here we, we are. are um, we are we're back. There was a slight interruption in our recording there, as you may have noticed. Um, we just had an interesting technical difficulty, and rather than cutting it out and not showing you behind the scenes, why don't we explain what actually happened? We were recording with our three cameras here, and one of them ran out of batteries while we were talking, so we had to cut short. And here we are back again after a bit of fun going back to get one of the parts to change the battery out. And now some children are playing in this park where we're recording, so there will be some pleasant dulcet tones of little children screaming in our ear um, <laughs> but before we cut off I was uh, just explaining a little story about when I started the Corbett Report and uh, I was talking about the YouTube thumbnail the automatic thumbnail was always the dead center of the video so some people gamed it by putting a picture in just in that center that was very different from the rest of the video just to draw people's attention I toyed with that idea and I thought, well, if I put a picture of a woman in a bikini in the center, then everyone will click on it and it'll actually be about 9-11 truth and I'll trick people into learning the truth. And I decided against that and that is one of the best decisions I ever made because clearly, clearly, if we are about spreading a message of truth, then tricking people into getting that message is not going to win us any friends in the long run. And I don't think that deception is uh, a good art of the, this game, as it were. So, so absolutely, I've, I've thought about this before as well. I think everyone probably does. And hey, I'm not here telling anyone what to do. You do whatever you want, feel you want to do. But just for myself, I've decided not to, to go down that route. So I hope that the uh, visuals that I use for thumbnails are, are interesting, but I hope they're not deceptive either. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, once again, a big thank you to uh, Vinny Eastwood for uh, sending me this uh, through, through my YouTube channel. 
Uh, these are some great points, and there's a lot more there, so we might put them in the show notes as well. Uh, back to some of your subscriber questions, James. Uh, uh, this comes from Dennis. Uh, I was wondering what technology slash items you use when making your last word reports. For example, what type of camera do you use? Uh, and I would like to add to this question, James. Um, how do you go about effectively using the green screen for your GRTV eye-opener reports? Right, yes. For the uh, GRTV backgrounders, the eye-openers, for the last word, you'll notice that I have a uh, fancy studio background that's accomplished, obviously, through green screen, which is a uh, rather uh, magnificent title for what I actually do. I have, as I showed you earlier, just a little green piece of fabric, a little curtain thing that I hang up on the wall behind me. I'll show you some video of that in the video version of this podcast. Uh, I think it literally cost about 2 or $3 to buy that piece of fabric and um, and just using Final Cut Pro you use something called chroma keying again there's a million tutorials online about how to do it and that's how I learned I taught myself and I don't do a very good job of it but it's good enough um, good enough for uh, podcasting as they say at any rate it's trial and error and it really only does cost a few dollars for the uh, the stuff the the most expensive part of that equation would be the software sure so. and a little uh, a little secret tidbit here James actually makes his green screen out of oompa loompa hair <laughs> Uh, and he, he demands a fresh one every single report. Um, You're not supposed to tell them about that. I've got to say, they're looking a little bit skinny, James. You don't need to feed them. Yeah, yeah. I've been accused of Oompa Loompa abuse, but um, we'll, we'll keep those reports under the, under the rug. <laughs> All right. Uh, if I may indulge your listeners and yourself, I have uh, a few questions that I would like to ask. Please okay. do. Fire away. Uh, rattling in the back of the old brain for the last couple of years. Um, where do you acquire your bumper slash intro music for the Corbett Report podcasts? Good question. Um, that was something that I got from a stock music website. Um, must have been years ago now. When we started New World Next Week, uh, I looked for just some uh, intro type music, just bumper music, and I found a bunch of different ones and I sent them all to James Pilato and said, which one do you like? We both picked the same one independently, so that became the New World Next Week, and it was part of a, a series of themed, uh, uh, themed bumper intros, five of them or something, so I use a different one of that same theme for the Corbett Report. Um, uh, I've had people send me in um, some bumper music before, so I use that for some of it. I've asked other people if I can use their music for the backgrounds. Lots of ways to do it. Most of it is free. Some of it you might pay to, to use the bumper music. But uh, again, it's all uh, out there online. And I certainly don't do any of it myself. So. Sure. Uh, but just as a, uh, another interesting note, you actually, for the Asia Pacific perspective, uh, not the music, but the actual video intro was done by your good self. And I remember you mm-hmm. painstakingly worked on that for <laughs> hours, many hours, hours yeah. Night, yeah. It <laughs> took hours to do. And it's ridiculous because it's about a 10 second intro. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that I got representative clips from around Asia and uh, some of the ones in my own trick bag of tricks. And then also uh, a video from a stock footage site, I think, where one or two are in there as well. So. Okay, uh, this segues nicely into my next question. Uh, we spoke of the free work you can get, uh, the free music you, you can get from free archive uh, websites, etc. Um, but using, uh, have you ever had any copyright issues, i.e. with using video thumbnails, like you might have a, uh, a, a news clip that you, that you put in the podcast or in one of the videos, um, or a particular video grab? Uh, have you ever had any copyright issues or any kind of dramas with that? Uh, only in the YouTube auto detect, um, because people who don't who haven't used YouTube, they they have a system now that's that's actually quite creepy. Is that once you upload, it instantly can verify it against the entire archive of uh, user-defined content in the YouTube uh, archives. So. 
Um, if you use, for example, a clip from Al Jazeera, say, it will instantly, once you upload that, it will detect it's from Al Jazeera and flag that on your account. Each different um, content provider has different rules that they have for the ways that uh, that affects your video. Some of them, they'll block it in certain countries. Some of them will just block it altogether. Some of them, it will be fine, but you have to put an ad on your video that will then go to their uh, pocket. Um, so I try to avoid that, that as much as possible. I don't use Al Jazeera clips, for example, for that reason. Um, everything I do is fair use and is governed by fair use, and it's uh, news uh, uh, aggregation and comment. So that's that's absolutely fair game. Um, so I don't look at it in that way. But when you deal with something like YouTube, they have their own system and their own rules, which is why we have to get off the GooTube monopoly. But uh. sure. Um, speaking of that, you know, uh, just on my side, for instance, when I do put up a lot of stories, whether it be from Strat risks or whatever. It's you know it's important to always. I always at least put the uh, you know where you got the article from, and if you can do a bit, a bit of digging and and try and find the most original source that you can. Um, and also, it's always good just to provide that in the bottom. That that kind of covers your backside a little bit as well. If you you know if anyone uh, from these uh, from these outlets decide to uh, you know, cause an issue, you can always say, well, look. You know, yeah. on the bottom. Oh, but of course, you always have to be willing to uh, to take it down as well, if if needed. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Well, exactly. It's always a negotiation. And uh, while we're talking, it seems the Oompa Loompas have invaded. So let's just see if we can get some of them in the shot here. Say hello. Hello. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. Oh, genki desu ka? Genki desu ka? See you. <laughs> Oh, how cute. Well, I think we're probably going to be overrun here in a little while, so maybe we should start wrapping this up. Pretty quickly. Um, okay, here's a good question that I had. Uh, how do you best cope with the inevitable and sometimes personal attacks and criticism that comes with the territory of uh, putting out uh, sometimes controversial information? Yeah, exceptionally important question. So. Uh, yeah, no, this is, this is one of the most important questions because uh, it is something that will affect people. I mean, this is the difference between sitting in the bleachers uh, making comments and actually putting yourself out there, is that criticism will come. Criticism of the way you speak, the way you look, the way you dress, the things that you, uh, the things that you say, the things that you don't say, the way your room looks. Um, every possible conceivable angle of criticism that one could possibly imagine from a piece of media I have received multiple times over the years and continue to receive on a daily basis. So if I were the type of person whose self-validation came from other people, it would be exceptionally difficult to do this. If I took that kind of criticism from anonymous strangers on the internet seriously, I would probably not be able to do this. So it requires a certain toughness of skin, thickness of skin, which I'm not sure I can really coach people on. But I think that uh, there's, I mean, it has to be taken for what it is. And, and literally, we're dealing with people who all over the world, who are people you have never met and probably never will, who are anonymous YouTube users and could be paid government shows for all you know. Yeah, exactly. There's no way to know. No. But still, I mean, we have to treat it for what it's worth when it, criticism comes. And to, to my mind, the most difficult part of it is not just dealing with, with getting criticized. I could care less and that. But um, to, to be able to differentiate real valid criticism from just the usual kind of peanut gallery um, uh, hollering, 
and to be able to incorporate that in a meaningful way. And it's a fine line to walk because I don't want to adjust what I'm doing in order to respond to criticism. I've seen that, that happening time and time again with a lot of different media producers over the years who get into this and then immediately start making videos to counteract their critics and they start engaging with this or that commenter. And I think that's a complete derailment and that's exactly what the point of a lot of that criticism is, is to derail you from what you're trying to do. I have my own task, my own ideas, my own concepts that I want to put forward. And if and when valid criticism comes in, I will address that and incorporate that. But it's a question of not deterring from what you actually want to accomplish and deterring from your objectives. On the other side, um, that means that we shouldn't ignore criticism or ignore topics that have been criticized because we don't want to be deflected from, from it. I mean, it's this weird cycle that you can get into. I mean, you really have to have a strong sense of the message that you want to give out and not d deter from that, except to adapt to valid criticism. So it's a, it's a difficult line to walk. And, you know, it's, a, it's something that I have to negotiate with every day. And I still, I mean, I still have to deal with criticism that comes in and, well, what is this valid? Is it, is it reasonable? Reasonable? Is this person doing this in a spirit of constructive criticism or is it just meant as a type of insult? And uh, again, it does require a certain toughness or thickness of skin. So um, it, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for people who are easily prone to crying um, uh, wildly every time they receive a bit of criticism, as I'm sure you've probably experienced a bit yourself. A wee bit. Uh, I mean, the most criticism I've, the worst criticism I've had so far that wasn't constructive was that I looked like my beard looks like Zangief from the Street Fighter video games. So. <laughs> I will take that as a compliment. As that I am is. A gamer myself. That's not bad. Um, but another <laughs> comment said, uh, "Just Brock, you need to slow down with this speech." And mm -hmm. absolutely, I totally agree. And mm -hmm. uh, at home, when I'm recording videos and interviews and stuff, I have a big uh, uh, sign behind me saying, "Slow down, yeah. breathe, speak slowly." You know, yeah, just, yeah. and it's something that you have to work on. And no one, none of us are perfect. We're not here no, with exactly. horses. And yeah, so you know. Thank you to those people who do give honest, constructive criticism because that's the only way we get better and yeah. hopefully it's, uh, those people also will learn it if they choose to uh, do their own, their own websites. And exactly videos. right. Mm. And that again, that's another reason why I think if we're all part of the conversation, then none of us feel like we're just the, in the peanut gallery giving comments. We're all part of the process and all actively, constructively working towards something. And then we can all relate as people who are producing as well as commenting. So. Uh, well, uh, Two more, and we'll finish okay. it up. Okay, eh? all right. Okay. Uh, James, uh, you are coined as the hardest working man <laughs> in alternative media, and so what are the realistic hours that James Corbett does in any given week? Uh, not just your podcasting, recording interviews, but responding to uh, emails mm. and also, you know, writing international forecasting, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Tallying up the hours would be difficult. Um, I am blessed to be able to do this full time, so I get to set my own hours, um, which is helpful because now that I'm a stay-at-home dad, during the day I spend a lot of time with my son, and during the night I spend a lot of time on the website. So I am often, in fact usually up till 3 or 4 in the morning, working on the website, and then uh, get a few hours sleep, wake up with my son, uh, usually get a nap sometime in the afternoon when I start to physically crash because I can't physically keep my eyes open anymore, and then... Uh, around the evening time, start to back to work on the website. So that, that's generally the routine, and that's pretty much six days a week at this point, five or six. And so it's a lot of hours. I don't know, I couldn't add it up, but um, it's probably not even the best way to organize my time, but it's, uh, it's what I've fallen into, the routine I've fallen into. So I will probably be adjusting that as my son grows and develops, and his routine and needs change, so will mine. So um, 
it's something that's in flux, but uh, it has been an exceptional investment of time over the years. And I can't even begin to say how, how much time it took, in the, uh, especially when I was working a full-time job as well. So it's, again, it's not something that I ever would have done for any other reason than I truly believe in what I'm doing and spreading this work, this knowledge, as far as I can. And I don't take myself exceptionally seriously, but I take the information exceptionally seriously. Yeah. So that's the motivation for me, and that's why I've, I've sacrificed as much as I have to try to bring it to people. And, uh, and I think that that's the only real true place that this media can really come from in a productive way. If you don't have that, then you might dip your toe into it for a week or two and give up. But yeah. um, unless you're motivated by that kind of passion, it won't continue. Absolutely. I'm exactly the same. You know, this Asia-Pacific perspective is, you know, w one of the things that I've really been proud of that I've stuck out. And, as, yeah. and, it's, not, and it's not difficult to stick at it. I mean, it is. It's a, it's just, I'm not doing anywhere near the kind of hours that you are. But it is a constant thing. It is almost a daily thing. Um, you have to balance it out. But the, the knowledge of the importance of the information that we are getting out there and, you know, and spreading that information really is the kicker. It is the, the reason why you and I do what we do and, and also all the other excellent uh, work out there. Yep. Alright James, let's wrap this up. All and right. Your Oompa Loompas, I understand, are working on a time machine. <laughs> Once that's completed in mm -hmm. 2025, yeah, okay. uh, you can travel back in time. What are three key things that you know now that you wish you knew back at the start? What would you tell the starry-eyed, cherub-faced James Corbett of seven years ago to make his life that much easier? Oh my god, that's a good question. That's an excellent question. Um, and I should have a very good answer to this, but I haven't... It doesn't have to be three. Maybe one. Well, I'm trying to think. Uh, I'll give you as many as I can think of. I suppose... Um, the... I think the best thing... The best thing that I've ever, I've ever learnt or ever done is the fact that I haven't treated the Corbett Report with the type of perfectionism that I've often striven for in my other endeavors in life. And that is uh, somewhat unusual because I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist with certain things. But with this, with the website, I knew just intuitively that I wanted to get it up and out as quickly as possible in, in obviously with as much quality as I can. But there has to be a trade-off between quality and perfection because perfectionism truly is procrastination. If we just continue to put put it off oh i can fine-tune a little more it will take forever i mean you could li literally work on a single podcast for 18 years and it'll still never be perfect so there has to be a point at which you make that decision and i think i've learned over the years the balance um in that and i hope that that's constantly something that i'm refining to try to make sure that the quality level is as good as possible while still continuing to meet the kind of weekly schedule etc and that's something that i've had to learn the hard way over time I'm not sure how I would put that in a piece of advice for, for my younger self or for the younger podcasters out there, other than to say that um, uh, perfectionism, and also I think there is a tendency for everyone, myself included, when they start out, if you're not getting uh, you know a million views overnight, it's like what the hell? Why That's, this yeah. this should be this should be massive, and this this report is the most important thing in the world. Why isn't it getting more views? And I think there is a, a tendency for younger podcasters and, and people starting out with this to want um, the work that they're doing at the moment in that exact moment to be as as big as possible, and rightly so. I mean, we should be striving to make this scene as widely as possible, but don't let that get you down. I've seen people, for example, spend months putting together one video 
and they release that video and it gets maybe a few hundred, maybe a few thousand views. And they're like, what the hell? I've put so much work into this. And for me, I, I'm putting out videos, you know, four or five times a week. And I think, sure, I think all of them should be million views, uh, best viral videos, but of course they're not all going to be. And the, uh, one of the things that has really consistently surprised me over the years is you can never, ever tell uh, we're out of video there, so we're gonna go here. <laughs> you can never ever tell what's going to be a uh, viral video or not, what's gonna take on with the audience or not. Every single time I think, I don't know if this, this podcast connected, I'm not sure people are gonna like it. I get the consistently the best feedback about those podcasts in particular. I have no way of telling. So, um, so I think just continue to do it, put out as much as you can, but obviously don't sacrifice the quality in order to do so, it's a fine line, but just keep at it and continue and continue and continue and press forward. And it's fire and forget in the info war, it really is. And you never know what you plant, the seed you plant today, how it's gonna flower tomorrow, 10 years from now, a hundred years from now, who knows? And I've got things that are way back in my archives from years ago that are suddenly going re-viral, like in the wake of the Boston bombing, I had a false flag video that went viral again. So uh, so you never know, you never know, and uh, just keep at it. That's that's the number one advice. I think uh, never never better advice has been, has been spoken, James, so thank you so much for that. Uh, as always, time and uh, technology seems to be the enemy of the uh, podcaster today, so... Uh, this is real life, folks. This is, real life. This this is what it looks this like. This is it. This is uh, downtown, downtown uh, Western Japan. So yeah. uh, thank you so very much for um, having me on, my friend. And yes. we, unfortunately, as we said, we didn't get to all the questions that flooded in. So I'll make you a promise and I'll come back here and we'll do it again. Hey? We definitely will. Absolutely. I, I insist. All right. Thank you all for tuning in for this. And once again, I will be trying to put out some kind of video this weekend, just showing a little bit of the setup as well physically. So you see what it's like and you see my palatial multi-million dollars recording studio, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So again, it's very simple to do. It's all do it yourself. I taught every single piece of this technology to myself. I didn't have any formal instruction in this. If I can do it, I guarantee you guys can do it out there. So that's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm your host, James Corbett, with my good friend Brock West, apperspective.net. Be there or be square. And on that note, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Fake. All right. Sorry, guys. Uh, just one more thing I thought I should add at the end of this podcast before I go. Brock will be in town here in the sunny climes of Western Japan for another couple of days before he moves on on his Japanese vacation. So we are going to be uh, hitting, painting the town brown, as they say back in Newcastle, where my parents are from, uh, this weekend. And we're going to be doing some karaoke and other shenanigans. So that will be the subscriber-only video this month and the subscriber newsletter. So if you want to sign up for the subscriber newsletter, if you're not yet doing so, of course, you can go to corporatereport.com support to listen to the dulcet tones of Brock West or the off-key caterwauling of James Corbett as we uh, do karaoke and other fun stuff. So you can check that out. Once again, I do want to thank you all for your support and for, of course, tuning in for this episode. And I really do hope it, that it helps you to at least begin to answer some of your questions. I know that this is only a partial uh, answer to those questions and we'll have to continue talking about this. And I will be putting out a video in the future showing actually physically showing the setup of some of this stuff that we've been talking about. And I hope you can use the links to start creating some of this media for yourselves because once again I'm hoping this isn't just a one-way conversation at any rate that is going to do it for this week so thanks again for your time and looking forward to talking to you again next week
The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's International Forecaster editorial, recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support.